Hi, my name is Rod Cleef. I'm host of the Lifetime Cashflow Podcast. And I want to take a second and talk about my friend Adam Adams and his events. Now, I've been blessed to speak at his events, and I know he's known as one of the top meetup organizers on the planet. But let me just say this about Adam. If he's, if he's having an event, go to it. Adam focuses on adding absolutely as much value as possible. He comes with my highest endorsement. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams. And Todd, this isn't your first time on the show. This is your second time on the show, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Welcome back, Mr. Todd Dexheimer. Uh, so let's talk about scaling, what it took you to go from nothing in the very, very beginning to having over 500 doors and uh, raising 20 plus million dollars, I think around 20 million in, in equity at, on the day that record with that we're recording. And just a quick plug for anybody listening, I'll make sure that this comes out before the Raising Money Summit. Todd will be sharing the stage at the Raising Money Summit in October. I hope you'll go and get your tickets. So just go to raisingmoneysummit.com and you put in a pro, uh, the promo code podcast. And when you put in the promo, co pro, promo code podcast, you'll actually save a bunch of money on those tickets. You get to meet Todd in person. You get to meet me in person and a whole bunch of other really awesome speakers. So Todd, why don't you give us a little bit of background and then let's get into how you scaled your business from zero to 500 plus units. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, background for me, you've already kind of covered some of it, but I, I was a teacher and then I decided I'm gonna do some real estate stuff. So I started the real estate journey back in 2008 and people looking back go, wow, that was a perfect time to start. But at the time it was pretty scary waters. Uh, everybody was running the opposite way and I'm basically diving head first into the rapids. And uh, I was started with buying one to four family rentals and doing a lot of flipping. So uh, I, I quickly had to, or wanted to scale. I, I, you know, I, I started buying my couple single family houses and uh, I wanted to make this a full-time gig. I wanted to be done teaching and make this a business. So um, along the way, I, I've, I've bought all kinds of different stuff. I've, I've uh, done some, a lot of flipping, like I said. I've done some wholesales. I uh, bought a ski resort, bought a mobile home park, uh, done some developing. Um, I've done a lot of creative uh, financing. We talked about that on the last show is, is the uh, seller financing stuff that I've done. Uh, and I've bought all kinds of different multifamily stuff, anywhere from, you know, uh, well, duplex four unit, but uh, 10 unit buildings all the way up to 200 plus unit uh, buildings. So I've kind of dabbled in a lot of different things or, and, and focused on a lot of different things uh, throughout the time. Right now I'm focusing on multifamily, uh, doing it with, you know, through syndication, value add properties. Uh, so that's kind of my main focus right now. Let's talk a little bit about what value add is in the first place. So what, is, what would you define a commercial multifamily value add? Uh, sure. I mean, it, you know, your, your traditional just yield play would be we're buying something for the yield that's already cash flowing. We're not going to do anything to it uh, too fancy to fix it up. Rents are at a good place. And so that's kind of just a standard 
oh, what a lot of people will call like a hands-off property, which there's no such thing, but that's more hands-off. Uh, value add would be, well, we've got some sort of opportunity to be able to raise rents or lower expenses. Most cases, it's raising rents. Some cases, you can also lower expenses as well, but probably the easiest thing to do uh, and the most common thing to do would be, you know, let's say we got a multifamily building and it's renting for uh, $700 per unit for a one, one or two bedroom. And we know that the market right now is at 900. And so in order to get it to the market though, we, we can't just leave it in its current condition. We're going to have to probably do some renovations. So we probably have to maybe change out the cabinets, maybe change out some hardware, uh, do some painting, flooring, stuff like that. So that's kind of your typical value add. We're going to put a little bit of money into it and we're going to get a good extra boost in the end. What we end up trying to do, no matter what, whether we're raising rents or lowering expenses, or we're trying to boost the net operating income. And uh, if we can boost the net operating income, we ultimately boost the value of that property. And the goal, obviously, is to boost it more than the amount of money you put into it. So one, one of the things that, um, that I've always resonated with you is, is um, you were a teacher for some time and, and I actually went through school to be a teacher. So it was, it's always something that I thought that I would be teaching, coaching, educating, uh, you know, either track and field uh, because I, I thought that I was the fastest runner in the world. Uh, you know, I didn't to, know but, that about you, by the way, Adam. I was, uh, I was a track and field guy. Oh, we're going to have to geek out a little bit about it. Let's, let's go ahead and throw a couple of those uh, things on the podcast. Uh, what did you run or throw? Uh, I was a distance runner. So I was doing a, a lot of between 800 and, you know, two mile, um, okay. mostly mile, two mile. I was a cross country guy too. So nice. Yeah. yeah. I did a little cross country. I did cross country um, in high school but my my main run was the 400 so like go. i was like i ran the four the open four i ran the four by four i ran the medley i did the 400 so it was, it, that was it. like my thing but i did okay at some of the other races but i i loved it i loved i loved running and and i had a passion for running and i went to a brand new school and uh everybody voted for me to be the track captain and i was like nobody knows me like I was honored, I was humbled, and I was just like trying to understand even why. But I learned through the years that that there's something that you people like you and me put off that that people already know that we're gonna bring them under our wing. Yeah. And um, and I've always resonated with you because I was like he did what I wanted to do. I never ended up. I I, I did do tuba lessons and trombone lessons and stuff like that. I would teach one on one privately. But I, I never actually uh, started at a school and, and, and did the education. And I've, I've always been jealous of you that you got to do both. One of the things that, I've, that you, I know on your story, and I think this came up on the last episode that you were on, on for, our, for our podcast, but one of the things that I noticed, you actually um, got into being a teacher and then three years later, you started to get into real estate, which again, resonates really well with me. I remember I started doing real estate uh, while I was in college, but I, as I remember uh, talking with you before, 
you've you started doing real estate like two years in uh two years before you decided to kind of retire. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I started uh, in 2008 and I quit teaching after the 2009-2010 school year. So, okay. yeah. Well, that, that's actually pretty simple. So, when did you get involved in real estate? What year was it? 2008. Yeah. Okay. I, started, I mean, I started studying and stuff back in probably 2007. You know, it took, it took me a while to buy my first deal. They actually get that not only the fear factor, but I needed money. I didn't know how to, to buy with other people's money. So I needed my own money. I got, I had to figure out how to save enough money to actually buy a property. Yeah. Love it. I, in 2008, I bought a, I bought my first multi and, but, but creative, I didn't have to put money into it, but nice. Um, it was, it was all that I wanted to do. So it's, it sounds like we have a pretty similar, <laughs> a similar path. So let's just take us back to like around 2008 um, while you're in your third or so year of teaching and you're getting into real estate. Um, take me back there and tell me what did it truly take for Todd Dexheimer to go from there to closing over 500 units? Um. Look, I mean, a couple, a couple of things or many things, but I think, you know, it comes down to, first of all, what's your motivation? Like, are you really driven to do it or, you know, and, and what's driving you? For me, I wanted, I wanted to create that financial independence. I wanted to do something also that I was passionate about. Some people don't necessarily need that passion. But for me, I needed to find something I really enjoyed doing. And teaching, I enjoyed, but I didn't enjoy all the other stuff that went along with teaching. And by that, I mean, basically the administrative stuff, the parents, sometimes the, um, you know, the, the, some of the other staff or, you know, uh, just a lot of little stuff that I, that I didn't enjoy. So I, needed to find something I really wanted to create. And I liked the idea of creating something on my own. Um, and so I think the drive is, is really important. Are, are you driven to be able to achieve something? Um, and, and what do you want to achieve? So I think, you know, the, we, people talk about it all the time. You need to have goals. You need to set goals. But I think more than just having goals and setting goals, because I could make up a goal. Anybody can make up a goal. But how truly driven are you to achieve that goal? Like, how much do you want that goal? I think that's really, really important. Uh, so that's, that's maybe number one. Um, number two is you've got to take action. Like, eventually, you have to take action. So, we can dream, we can write our goals, we can do all that stuff, but if we're not willing to take action, by taking action, that, that doesn't just mean buying your first property. That means getting educated, right? I mean, you're taking massive action by, you know, joining a, a coaching program. If you're learning to raise money, you're joining your coaching program or you're coming to your conference to learn that stuff. That's taking massive action. And then beyond that, you do a hundred percent have to actually do something. If you're not willing to take that risk, take that first leap. Um, you know, like I said, when it was 2008, man, and, and people look back and they go, Oh, what a great time to be buying real estate. But 
I mean, you, you bought your first deal in 2008. Anybody that was buying real estate in 2008, they were taking massive risk uh, because, because everybody else was running the opposite way. So, so you have to get beyond that fear factor and, and take that action and understand that there's 100% there's going to be some risk. But if you've been educated and you follow the, the basics, I think you're going to have a, a pretty good opportunity for success. Um, and there's, there's a lot more, I guess, but um, those are probably some of the key factors just right out, out, out of the gate. Okay. And so, in, so you bought your first property. What did, what did that one look like? Yeah, my very first property was just a single family house. I actually kind of bought three all at once. So, mm. um, but my very first property was a single family house. I'll call it the uh, rental that I bought because I don't remember what order I bought them. And literally, I bought them all within like a week or two. Um, so I, I bought a house for like $60,000, stuck another 15000 into it, and was renting it for 1400 a month. The numbers made a lot of sense. It's, it's, not rocket science right now that, that those numbers work. But again, at the time it was pretty dang scary. Um, the other two properties I bought was one to live in. My wife and I bought it to live in and fix it. It was a foreclosure, um, needed a lot of work. And then the other one was a property to flip, um, which kind of ended up being a flop, but. That, hmm. <laughs> tell, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that because I think that's an important part of, of your journey. So, yeah. So the flip, uh, I bought this property to flip. I bought it with a partner and uh, I partnered with him because I thought he had the money uh, to come up with it. He ended up not necessarily having the money, but he was able to find the money very easily. Um, and we, and by we, I mean, mostly me uh, with him a little bit, but we did all the work ourselves. Um, or nearly all the work, you know, maybe hired out some of the plumbing and a little bit of the electrical stuff like that, but did everything. And at the end of the day, when we sold it, uh, made like a thousand bucks. So we actually made money, which is great. But if you look at my hourly rate, I probably got paid like a dollar an hour. Even, even lower than your teacher salary. <laughs> yeah, definitely lower than my teacher salary. <laughs> and that wasn't very much. That wasn't very, I think when I stopped teaching, I was making like 31, 32,000 a year. Love it. All right. So you made a thousand bucks on your flop and uh, you also bought a primary residence as a foreclosure and lived in it with your wife. And the same week you bought um, your first rental for 60 grand and yeah. then you ended up putting 15 into it, about 75,000. And it was pulling in 1400 a month in rent. What did you do after that? Uh, yeah. I mean, so after that, it, it, I bought several more one single families and, and duplexes. Um, I brought in a couple of partners to be able to uh, continue to grow. Cause at that time it was really hard to get loans. So I brought some people in that would get loans in their name and we would split profits uh, and then I really ran out of capacity to continue to buy single families uh, because at the time you could only get like four loans in your name. Uh, it was really challenging to get more than four, especially if you're a teacher. Uh, and 
I didn't know, and, and honestly, the lending environment was really challenging, so it was hard to get any other type of lending. Um, so I started to flip, and, and that's, that's kind of how the flipping went. I started to flip properties and, uh, and just continue to grow that business. And I, I took that business from flipping, you know, just one property at a time, two properties at a time, to all of a sudden I was flipping um, doing 10, 15 projects at a time, doing 50 or so a year. Um, and then also taking in those profits and buying, you know, some multifamily or single families and stuff like that for rentals as well to build my rental portfolio. So, okay. And okay. So what year was it that made you finally just say, I'm going to do only multifamily because I mean, on our last podcast, I remember you, you've been involved in a few things. You even mentioned the ski resort on this podcast at the very beginning, but as I understand it and you right now, you're focused on pretty much nothing but the large multifamily. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, right. So you're not going to buy another single family rental, even if it's 60 K and you can pull in 1400. You know what? Never say never, man. Potentially, <laughs> potentially, I mean, if the right deal came about, would I buy it? Yeah. I have nothing against single family rentals. I'm not the multifamily guy. You hear a lot of people say is, you know, the only, you just, it doesn't make any sense to buy single family houses. I actually disagree with that um, notion. Um, and so, yeah, potentially I, I would buy them. You know, single families are emotion-based, right? And so if you can buy it when the emotions are super, super low, and wait till they get super high. There's just an amazing amount of profit to be made in them. If you can rent them in between, uh, you've got a ton of profit you can make. I think that's a great model. Um, multifamily is more numbers-based. There is still emotions in it. People are getting very emotional with multifamily right now. Um, but it's more of an, a, a financial base. So it's, it's a different business. Um, I like multifamily much better. But would I buy some single families? Yeah, I, I would if the, if, if the environment was right. Okay. Um, you asked about when did I transition into multifamily? It was a slow transition. I went from, you know, like I said, I was buying one to four family properties, uh, bought some other multifamily properties uh, kind of throughout. And then I really transitioned full-time into multifamily back in uh, uh, two, like end of 2015. Uh, I really said, you know what, I'm done. It was honestly, I was done flipping. It, it didn't have anything necessarily to do with the single family versus large multifamily. Uh, it had to do with, I didn't want to flip houses anymore. I didn't really see the value being worth it. You know, the, the return on my investment um, versus my time and effort and just the head damage it seemed to be doing uh, just wasn't worth it where the multifamily made a lot of sense. And mm -hmm. The reason I went to larger multifamily is because it was impossible to find duplexes and, and fourplexes that really the penciled out anymore uh, because people were buying them to live in one side. And once you have that, you no longer, it, it financially just doesn't make any sense anymore. So I decided to buy the large multifamily uh, and it served my investors at the time. And I had investors at the time uh, and it served them well also to be buying the larger multifamily. How did that happen? How did it serve them better? 
Um, because you're able to make, I think, the returns work on, you know, mid-sized to large multifamilies versus like a, just a duplex, harder to make those returns work to where it's worth it for the investor. Uh, so I had a lot of investors that I kind of had built up through my flipping days. And those people all transitioned with me over to the multifamily. And so it, I was able to get them still really good returns by, uh, by, by going to the multifamily. Just actually same or better returns. Yeah. I, so I've always um, done the math on the returns for if you're, if you're lending private money on a flip versus if you're lending private money, or I guess it's not really lending, but partnering. Uh, as an equity partner. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, on what your investors were getting. Um, when I look at it, and if, if we use 12%, because that's a pretty normal number for some of the hard money lenders, it might be nine, it might be 10, it might be 12. Some of them are higher, but if we just use like uh, the 12%, and they they lend it out, but then they get it back, and they they have to wait until your next project or someone else's project. What I've looked at or what I've done my own calculations is is like if they lend it out three different times uh, for two months each or whatever that year, it's like half the month they're making twelve percent, and the other half they're it's kind of just sitting in the bank. What I mean is that. Would you say anything like, can you back me up or do you disagree? Um, no, I mean, I, I agree for the most part. It depends on how obviously efficient you are in the relationships you build and all that kind of stuff. And the, the quicker you can turn your money, the better obviously you're going to do. And so if you're going to be a hard money guy or just let private money and lending to flips, you can do, you can do well. I'm not going to say you can't, but there's also, I would say, a greater amount of risk and there's opportunity for loss like you just mentioned. I mean, if you let, lend out a, a $100,000 and you have to wait two or three months in between, well, sure, you made your 12%, but now you just made 0% for two or three months. And now your return doesn't look very good. And then there's also the risk factor. You know, I think there's a lot more risk to flipping a property than there is to a multifamily. Now, can both have a lot of risk? Sure. But if you're choosing wise operators for multifamily and wise flippers, I think the flipping just has more inherent risk to it. So there's that as well. So overall, I, you know, if I had a million dollars sitting around and I wanted to start investing it passively, what would I choose? It would be the multifamily hands down. I think it's much more passive. I think your returns are nearly as good or potentially better. And I think there's just way less risk, way less, uh, you know, potential for foreclosures, all that kind of stuff. Got it. Yeah. I, I do agree with you 100% on, on, on that. So let's get back to the topic of, of how you got to 500 plus units. Yeah. Uh, so we, we kind of went through a little bit of, of your experience and what would you say, um, took you from from doing a few duplexes, a few flips, getting a little tired of flips, wanting, wanting to pick up more rentals, but then saying, 
how am I going to scale? I need to do X. What, what was, what was that deciding factor that kind of brought you from your, your massive growth in the single and duplex area uh, into kind of where you are today doing more syndications? Yeah. Well, and this will speak to even while I was building my flipping business, because I went, like I said, I, I mean, I was flipping a lot of properties. I was doing 50 or so a year. I had to find employees. I had to find, you know, people that could work for me. So I fit the, the first thing I've already kind of hit on is, but you, you have to become obsessed. You have to find your why you have to find your passion. And then you have to find, you have to commit to it. You have to stop wasting time with the BS that doesn't add value to your life. You know, like people that are watching TV or people that are always on social media and no offense to you, Adam, you're on social media a lot, but you're doing good things on social media though. You're not wasting your time on it. Well, maybe you are. Uh, but what I see of your posts, you're doing positive things that are helping build your business. So if that's what you're doing, that's fine. But if you're just on there searching what, you know, that, and looking at Auntie May's, uh, you know, puppy that she just got and liking that and all that kind of, you're just wasting your time. So there's a lot of BS. There's a lot of people wasting time. Uh, you know, I had, uh, my, my father-in-law was working on needing to get work done on his house and I get a lot of stuff done and he asked me something about, or I can't remember if it was him or, or mother-in-law, either way they said, you know, how do you get so much stuff done? And it's like, well, because I don't, I don't have downtime. Like I'm not, I'm always moving and you have to decide if that's right for you, but ultimately it was right for me. And when you're starting your own business, I think that's what you need to do. If, if, if you truly want to make a difference and want to, grow and scale, you have to become obsessed and you have to quit with the BS. Uh, the other thing, and again, I've already kind of mentioned this, is you have to get smart, right? You have to read books. You have to listen to podcasts like this, go to conferences like yours. By the way, I'm going to put in a little plug for me. Uh, I've got a conference coming up uh, maybe what, a couple of weeks before your conference. Um, so come to conferences like mine. Uh, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Uh, you know, go onto the internet forums, go onto bigger pockets, be on Facebook, but spend good quality time on the the forums that make sense for you or the the channels that make sense for you. Um, all that kind of stuff, meetups, um, you know, and then hiring, potentially hiring coaches, if that's right for you, potentially taking courses uh, as well. So, You've got to get educated. And then the other thing is beyond like learning how to do the, you know, ABCs of real estate, uh, by the way, is a great book. Um, learn how to get your mindset right. Read Think and Grow Rich. Read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Read books that really help you beyond just real estate. Um, the other thing... Uh, you know, I think it's important to know your end game. Uh, so where do you, where do you really want to go? And that can always shift and change, but right now you have to start with, you know, what do you want this business to look like? So knowing your end game, in my opinion, allows you to strategize the details of how to get there. It allows you to dissect everything in order to achieve the most amount of your, your greatness. Your, and if you can't, figure out your end game. How can you dissect it down to, to, you know, what do you do today in order to 
take the right steps to get you there. What else is absolutely critical toward um, someone's success to be able to go from zero to 500? Build a team, right? Super important, building a team, finding partners, whether they're active partners uh, or they're passive partners, but finding people that are going to help get you there. You know, uh, if you're in this business, if you're in real estate and in multifamily, you're going to want to find brokers, lenders, property managers, um, you know, contractors, mentors, uh, passive investors, praisers, all kinds of people like that. Um, and then eventually you also need to hire people. I think that's really important. I'm looking at that right now. I'm trying to systematize my business a little bit more so I can work on hiring some of the right people in order to help me grow even more than right now because I want to continue to grow my business. And so you do have to hire the right people that your first hire and your second hire, hopefully, if you do it right, are going to allow your business to massively grow. And it, I think it's scary to hire somebody because you go, oh man, I'm going to have to pay him 30, 40, 50,000 a year. And wow, my business is, uh, that might be challenging. But if you don't hire, you're not going to grow. And when you do hire, I think your income will go up by that amount and more very, very quickly. So I, I think hiring uh, prior to you thinking you're ready is really important. I actually wanted to ask you about the North Star Real Estate Conference. Tell us a little bit more about that conference, when it's going to be held, give us the dates, and really who should attend. Yeah, thanks. Um, so it's going to be September 20th and 21st. It's going to be held in Minneapolis. So the it's North Star Real Estate Conference, nreconference.com. We've got you know, a ton of great speakers uh, going to be at that event, mostly I think a, a lot of multifamily is going to be covered, some commercial real estate, some mobile home parks, self-storage. Um, and we're going to be hitting on a lot of raising money, but the, you know, we'll be talking about a lot of systems too, a lot of marketing. Uh, we'll be talking about you know, just a lot of different strategies, value-add strategies, uh, different commercial strategy. If you got some guys that are doing amazing things in, you know, light industrial, in office and retail. Um, I've got, uh, you know, like a lot of your listeners probably know Kevin Bopp. He's going to be talking about mobile homes. Uh, so we've got just a lot of great people coming. I've got Trevor McGregor, who I, th I think you've had on this show. He's going to be talking about, uh, you know, basically your mindset and, and your you know, building your business. So uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great conference. People who wants to come, I mean, anybody ser that's serious about growing their business, honestly, anybody that has a real estate business, your audience, uh, if they're listening, they're likely a fit for it. Right now we've got an early bird special. Uh, if they come, if they go on to nreconference.com, they can type in early bird when they go to checkout and they'll get $100 off and uh, they can do that. And I think it'll be fantastic. I mean, the, the value with conferences too, beyond the speakers, is the networking. And we're setting up so it's got phenomenal networking um, and it allows people to build good relationships. I love that. And absolutely, if 
any of the listeners had an opportunity to meet you in person, Todd, I, I absolutely think they should. Um, my business coach, Trevor McGregor, uh, is phenomenal at what he does. So, yeah. I, I mean, if, if they want to really take their business to the next level, it makes a lot of sense to attend this conference on September 20th and 21st. And I, I really appreciate you giving us the early bird discount. Um, so I'll, I'll repeat that. It's NRE for uh, North Real Estate, right? North Star. North Star, yep, real yeah. estate. And then conference.com. And then when they go to checkout, you said all they got to do is really just type in uh, the promo code early bird and that'll early. give them a hundred bucks off. Yep, absolutely. And, and anything we make on this is going to go to charity. So it's going to go to benefit uh, Junior Achievement and uh, American Society of uh, or American Suicide Prevention. So, Wow. That, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about that conference. It's, uh, it's a conference that I think we should all attend. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Well, we learned a ton from you today. I really, really, really appreciate you helping us understand just kind of what that process can look like to go from zero to 500 plus. What other takeaways would you like to give to the audience? Yeah, I think um, a couple things maybe I haven't mentioned. I mean, as you build your business, you really need to start building systems. That's really important. Like I remember driving to Home Depot and getting all the materials and, you know, bringing them in my car and stuff like that. It builds systems. So it allows you to not have to do that and focus on growing your business. That's super important. And then the other thing is you just, you need to be able to think beyond today. Uh, think big. I mean, that's kind of a trendy thing to say, but it's true. It's okay to start small, but you've got to think big and, and really make sure you're just outside of your comfort zone. If you're comfortable, you're not growing. So if, if you're looking to scale and go bigger, make sure you're uncomfortable. Make sure what you're doing is kind of just like, uh, should I, uh, you know, you want to be pushing yourself and making mistakes and learning from those and growing from those. But the last thing is just make sure you start. If you don't start, well, you're just like everybody else. Love it. I think, I think we can end with that. Go to nreconference.com. Todd, thanks for coming back on the show. I always appreciate everything that you're doing for the community. Um, how do people find you? How do they, how do they find your podcast? And, uh, and then I'll let you go after that. Yeah, so uh, my podcast is called Pillars of Wealth Creation. Uh, they can find me there. It's pillarsofwealthcreation.com. It's on you know, all the other channels, wherever they're listening to this. Uh, and then you can also reach out to me through my website, venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com. Um, and I'm on social media as well. So they can look, look me up on, on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. Awesome. I'll let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Awesome. I hope you decide to go ahead and grab your ticket to the Raising Money Summit this year. The networking is going to be outrageous. So I hope you'll accept my invitation to come to the Raising Money Summit by going to RaisingMoneySummit.com. Check out the speaker lineup. Check out the already amazing ticket prices that we have. 
and grab your discount for it as well. Just put in podcast. So that's your promo code. That's your discount code. I definitely want to see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th.